Thank you, Chrissy. And I just have to say, we are so, uh, so blessed with talent in our church, aren't we? And thank you for the cause group that led that first hymn and, and for the women's group. Uh, boy, I'm just overwhelmed some Sundays um, with all that we have. In her book, Mystery on the Desert, Maria Reich describes a series of strange lines made by the Nazia Indians in the plains of Peru. And they thought for many years that these lines were irrigation ditches. They couldn't quite tell what they were. But then in 1939, Paul Kosk of Long Island University discovered their true meaning. He was able to fly in an airplane above the lines, and as he looked down on the lines, he saw these enormous drawings. They were birds and insects and animals. Kind of a crazy sort of thing, isn't it? You know, in the same way, many of us think of the Bible as this series of individual, unconnected stories. But when we're able to zoom out, we can see that the Bible is really one story. It's a story of God from creation in Genesis all the way to the ending in Revelation. And today we are going back into the story, into the book of Isaiah, and we're reading words that were written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And these words are to a people who are longing for God to come. And as we read these words, we understand that God has come. He's come through Jesus. And so it's important to go back and read these words. Let me invite you to find your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to get to verse 8 in a minute where we'll pick up and begin to read. But today I want to take just a moment and look with me at the first four verses of Isaiah 61. And as we look at these verses, we understand that Isaiah is describing the Messiah. You know, people thought that the Messiah would be a political leader. And Isaiah is telling us that the Messiah is going to come in a different sort of way. They thought he was going to come and conquer and rule. But Isaiah tells us he'll be king coming to the poor. He doesn't come to the power people or doesn't begin with the power people. Instead, he ministers to below the downcast, those unable to pick up themselves. He comes to bring freedom to the captive, Isaiah says. He comes to open prison gates to those who are locked up. He comes in a way that when he comes, it'll be a day of the Lord's favor, Isaiah says. Now, what does that mean? The word day in Hebrew describes a period of time. It's an age when God is smiling on his people, Isaiah says. It's a time when God will be providing for his people. It's a day when God will come and turn vengeance into comfort, to love. Instead of mourning, Isaiah says, we'll be comforted. Instead of grieving, we'll have provision, Isaiah says. Instead of ashes, we'll have a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, we'll have oil of gladness. You see all that there in those first few verses. Instead of despair, we're given a garment of praise. And then he says that the Messiah is one who will build a people of oaks. Now think about that for a minute, an oak tree. An oak tree is strong and sturdy, right? When a storm comes through and snaps all the pine trees, the oak is still standing. And that's how Isaiah describes the Messiah coming. Messiah is going to come, he says. He's going to turn things around. He's going to restore. He's going to rebuild. He's going to bring healing to his people. And here in this season of Advent, we understand that the Messiah has come through Jesus. And again, we're going back hundreds of years before Jesus came. 
And we're reading these words that help us understand who God is and what God has come to do through Jesus. So let's begin in verse 8. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. And let me encourage you to leave your Bibles open because we're going to dig into these words together this morning. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. For for as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations." Now, again, let's look at these words together this morning. What does he say in verse 8? For I, the Lord. Now, who's talking here? God's talking, isn't he? And he describes himself as the Lord. Now, that might seem like a no-brainer to us, right? We know that God is Lord. But if we really think about it, sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we act as if we are Lord, right? If we're in charge... Our preferences, our way of doing things is what we often choose rather than God's way of doing things. You know, and we live in a culture that tells us that we should do it this way, right? We should have it our own way. And if we don't like the way things are, we're told, we should adopt our own rules. The words of Isaiah 61 remind us that He is Lord. And everything that follows is rooted in God, in God's character. How is God's character described? Look what he says. He loves justice, it says. Now, let's look at this word for a moment. The word justice is a Hebrew word, misfot. Let's say that together, misfot, right? It's a big deal word in the Old Testament. It's used 412 times. And most of the time, it's translated as justice, but sometimes it's translated as regulations or laws or requirements, or statutes. You know, we live in an age where we don't like those words, right? Regulations, laws, requirements, statutes. If we don't like the rules, often in our world today, we find a way around those rules. A few years ago, um, our local community school in Indiana had implemented a covenant for school dances. The dancing was getting a little out of hand. Students were participating in what they called the grind. Now, I'll spare you the details. But the school administration decided to impose rules around the types of dancing that would be allowed at school dances. And one group of students, they were not happy with the rules. Therefore, they boycotted the dance and held their own dance. And their parents supported their efforts. They affirmed this principle of culture. If you don't like the rules, make up your own. And God speaks through Isaiah and reminds us that he is Lord. That he loves justice. He loves regulations. And truth is centered in God. Truth is not centered in us. We don't get to decide what truth is. God does. And he loves justice. He loves his laws and regulations and truth. And he loves 
what it means to live in justice. Now, that word justice can mean kind of a negative sense, kind of, you know, stay in line, follow the rules, but it can also um, be a positive word. It can also be about treating people well, treating people fairly, treating people with respect. And so it says that God loves justice. He's Lord, first of all. He loves justice. And then it says he hates robbery and iniquity. Those are big words, right? Those sound like biblical words. But the word robbery, it's a common word. We understand what that means. It's not very common in the Old Testament. In fact, it's only used three times. But it has to do with taking something that belongs to someone else. And then the word iniquity, that word is used all over the place. In many places it's translated as wickedness. It has to do with what is evil. It has to do with what is unjust. It ties into God's justice. And so God is a God who is a God of truth. He's a God of justice. And he hates robbery and iniquity. You know, it seems like these, uh, these are no-brainer sorts of statements, right? But we have to understand this. We have to understand who God is before we get to this whole dynamic that God is going to make a covenant with his people. So, the ESV translates this verse, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I think that's a great translation. It just kind of sets it up. Now, here's the cool part. This is where it gets neat. God loves justice, provided principles, guidelines for life. He hates people who despise his guidelines. And we know that the people in Isaiah's day have broken God's guidelines. So what's God going to do? They're not living in justice. They're not following God's heart. But look at verse 8. It says, in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. So God is going to make a covenant with his people. He's not going to do it because they deserve it. He's not going to do it because the people have followed his guidelines. He's going to make a covenant with them. Why? Because he's faithful. Notice the phrase, in my faithfulness. And what's he going to make with them? He's going to make a covenant with them. What does that mean? What does it mean to make a covenant? And not just a covenant, but do you notice what it says? Everlasting covenant. This covenant is fueled by God's love for his people. Isaiah wrote back in chapter 54, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. It's not a covenant that's going to come and go. It's not a covenant that we can say, well, God doesn't hold his end up anymore because we haven't held our end up. It's a covenant that will be forever. And it's not based on us. It's based on God's faithfulness for us. It's based on God's love. It begins with Abraham. And as Jesus comes, we know that God's covenant is extended through Christ. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. Let's keep reading in verse 9. Isaiah says that we'll be a blessed people in this day and time. Look what he says. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. See, the people of God are going to be a blessed people. And here we are on the other side of Christ's coming. On the other side of him going to the cross, dying for our sins. And we understand that we are a blessed people. 
And then look at these images that he uses. He uses an image of a bride. You ever been to a wedding? I've done lots of weddings, right? And the one thing that strikes me about a wedding is the bride, right? In fact, when the bride enters the room, what do we all do? We all stand up, right? And this image of a bride here, again, we see in Scripture that the church is the bride of Christ. And Isaiah describes this blessing as that of a bride. Look at verse 10 with me. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So we picture a wedding here. Think about this for a moment. God comes to us. He loves us as a bridegroom loves his bride. The ESV Study Bible says this, The Messiah will lead his people into the romance of eternal salvation. We see this talk about robes and jewels. And if we lived in, in ancient times, we would understand these words even better because we'd understand these images. But we, but we have this image of a bride getting ready on her wedding day, about to be joined with her bridegroom. And the relationship here is one of what? Marriage. They're about to be married. And to be married is a permanent sort of relationship. And a marriage is where you stick together through thick and thin despite your faults, right? The relationship of a marriage is one where the bride and the bridegroom confess until death do we part. That's what it means when Jesus comes. That's what it means when God steps into our world. He comes to redeem us in a way, again, that is over and beyond our actions. It's more than we deserve when God comes. So we see this image over and over again in Scripture. A bride and a bridegroom. We see it in Ephesians chapter 5, Revelation chapter 21. Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. And we live in a day where marriage is often disposable. Many have removed the phrase, until death do we part from their vows. But a marriage as it should be is one of the most permanent relationships possible. And certainly there are other relationships like this, a parent and a child. And we see that image used in scripture to describe God's love for us. And then we have another image in Isaiah here. That of a plant growing or a seed or a harvest. Look at, look at verse 11 with me. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow... So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. You ever planted a seed? Yeah, I remember in elementary school planting one of those little seeds at a science project. And for some reason, they would come up in just a few days, right? But most of the time, when you plant a field, it takes a season before plants start coming up. And then many more months before you're able to harvest. But, but what's God doing here? He's describing what he's going to do. He's planting the seed of righteousness in Isaiah's day. Hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. And he is going to be faithful. Even though the people are not faithful. The people in Isaiah's day are going to go off into exile, right? Because they've not been faithful to God. But God will bring them back. God has promised them that he will be faithful. And in time, he will step into their world. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the baby in a manger. We need to understand that it's a promise of God that he planted seeds a long time ago. And he came in his faithfulness. 
even though many were not looking for him. Again, Isaiah 61, God planting a seed of salvation. We live in this tension today, don't we? And you know, the season of Advent is a season where we anticipate God. Now, we have Christmas coming. It's a time, especially with children, where we think of, you know, Christmas morning's coming. And we look forward to that, right? All the anticipation of that. And we live in that anticipation as we await God showing up. And we think about the people, hundreds of years before Jesus, who were longing for Jesus. But we also understand that Advent is a season where we're living in the tension of waiting for God to return one day. We look around our world and things aren't right. And we say, what, what about all of this? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? How can God let this be? And we understand as Christians that God is going to come back. That God is going to make things right again. And so as we read the prophets in Isaiah, they're not, they're not foreign to us. Because we're living in that same sort of anticipation today. Waiting for God to return. Waiting for God to show up. Waiting for God to enact justice on our world right so we gather in this place today celebrating the coming of Jesus living in the season of Advent we've celebrated through music we've considered him his coming to us one time and because he's been faithful once he's going to be faithful again he brought justice and peace and salvation through Jesus and God is ultimately going to come and make all things right again here we are in the book of Isaiah, looking at this word covenant. It's a promise. God made it. And a covenant, again, does not depend on our behavior. A covenant does not throw us out when we deserve it. A covenant reaches beyond our ability to measure up. Oh, how we need God to come. Oh, how we need God to show up today to bring salvation to our dying and lost world. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful for the words in Isaiah 61. The words that remind us of who you are. You're Lord. You're a God of justice. You're a God who hates iniquity and robbery. At the same time, God, you've made a covenant with us, a promise that you will come, that you will show up. Like a bride and a bridegroom, like a, like a plant, like a seed waiting for harvest. God, we anticipate you fulfilling your covenant with us. We can be confident, God, that you will come. We can be confident, God, that you will be faithful even when we are not. And we celebrate that today. And because of this, God, you are worthy of our worship. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.